What's up, faith family? How you doing? Good, good. I'm not fully convinced of that, but I'll take your word for it. Do two things for me this morning. First of all, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12 will be our text. I need you to do something else for me as well. Take the program or the bulletin that you received when you came in, and I need to draw your attention to something in, uh, in here before we get to the Word. Uh, look at the news and events section. As, as many of you are well aware this summer, uh, our faith family has been growing. We expanded to four weekend services, one on Saturday night. And with this family growth, uh, we have opportunities that we really need people to step up and help with. And so under the uh, news and events section of your program, your bulletin, you'll notice a paragraph there that says, weekend service volunteers needed. Uh, and this really is an important thing for us right now. Uh, we need some people that will serve as greeters and ushers on the tech team, uh, children's ministry, the prayer team at Brian Cafe, a lot of areas because we've expanded, we've been growing, and so we need uh, faith family people to step up and, and take on responsibility in the family if you're not already. And so please do that. Be aware of that. The e uh, email address is there, so you can email us uh, your interest or just uh, take your Connect card or let somebody know out at the Welcome Center, and uh, we would really appreciate you doing that. So I want to encourage you to please step up and serve in some of those areas so that we can keep growing and keep ministering to people with the gospel. All right? Sound good? You ready? Y'all want to do this? What's up? All right, Luke 12. Let's go. Luke 12, verse 13 is our text this morning. As we're going to look at another parable, we're doing a series on illusions. And uh, boy, I, I tell you, the parables are being so convicting uh, in my life. But let's look at this parable here in Luke 12. If you're able to stand, please do so. We want to honor God's Word. Uh, this is the ultimate authority uh, in this place, not me. Verse 13. It says that someone in the crowd came to him and said, Teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who has made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for life does not consist of one's possessions and the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells them a parable in verse 16. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Pray with me. God, I continue to ask um, that you would open eyes to see. Um, I keep praying that because we so need that. Um, we need you to do the work that only you can do by revealing to us what uh, we really value and love in this world. And as painful as it may be, Lord, this, this morning, would you strip those things away and um, reveal to us what is true 
what is reality in our life. We ask to the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, when I was growing up, one of my favorite snacks was Cracker Jacks. Anybody with me, like, on that? I mean, like, every time my family went to the store, I would beg and beg and beg like a well-behaved child for Cracker Jacks. And uh, you might wonder, why in the world did I love Cracker Jacks so much? Was it because of the melt-in-your-mouth caramel? No. Uh, was it that this is gourmet popcorn at its finest? Not at all. It's a box of crumbs, pretty much. I love Cracker Jacks for the what? Yeah, you too, right? I mean, it doesn't get better than a temporary tattoo, you know? I mean, how awesome is that? But you know, we all love a prize in the box. And, and this idea of finding a prize in a box took on a whole new meaning for me when I read about Deborah Rodoff of Irvine, California, although it wasn't in a box of Cracker Jacks. According to the Associated Press, Deborah was shopping at Whole Foods grocery store where she bought a box of Annie's sour cream and onion cheddar bunny crackers, which is an unnecessarily long title for crackers. But she bought a box of these bunny crackers and she took them home. Uh, and then that night, her daughter uh, took the box, opened the box, found a prize inside. $10,000 cash. What? I know some of you are like, I'm really hungry for bunny crackers all of a sudden. <laughs> like, let's go to the grocery after church, honey, right? They found this money, and you would think they'd be excited. You'd think they'd be like, man, that's really awesome, you know? But they were very concerned. They thought, yeah, this doesn't, this doesn't check out. Something can't be right with this. And so Deborah called the manager. Uh, at Whole Foods, and he informed her that an elderly lady had come in that afternoon hysterical because she had returned the wrong box in her home, the box that had her life savings in it. She was, she was unbelievably emotional and distraught. And so the manager told Deborah about that. Deborah did the right thing. She returned the money back to the elderly lady, and uh, Deborah got a reward a brand new box of Annie's sour cream and onion bunny crackers. It's a gift that keeps on giving, Clark. Anyways, now that story ends well, but you know, as I read about that, I thought, can you imagine the emotions of that elderly woman when she thought what was safe turned out not to be? Can you imagine what that elderly woman was experiencing when what she had saved up for for so long was gone in a moment? In fact, she put the money in the box, the article said, because she didn't trust the banks. And so she thought that the most secure place to put her money would be in a box of crackers. So imagine what she must have felt when the thing she thought was most secure wasn't secure at all. I bet you've been there at some point in your life where you thought for sure something was secure, like you thought for sure your job was secure, you thought for sure your marriage was secure, you thought for sure that the relationship was secure. Man, you'd saved up all this money so financially you were secure, only to see it all go away in just a moment. 
What do, you, what do you do when you discover that the thing that you think will be secure ends up being taken away? You see, every one of us in this room wants security, and we run to many things in this world to provide that for us, but what if that stuff is only an illusion? Please hear me. What if it promises something that it can never, ever give you? That's what Jesus wants us to learn in this parable. Luke here introduces us to a guy here that's in a a crowd. He's a man driven by greed. Now, you need to understand in Luke chapter 12, there are thousands and thousands of people gathered around Jesus based on verse 1. It is so bad, they are like trampling over each other and stepping on people. I mean, it is massive hysteria. Jesus is teaching on some pretty heavy topics like the Pharisees and exposing religion. He's talking about hell. In fact, in chapter 12, he says, don't, don't fear the one who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy and cast both body and soul into hell. He talks about the, the provision that God will give his disciples. And, and here comes a guy. Imagine this with me. Here comes a guy. He's finally able to get close enough to Jesus to ask a question or bring up a topic. And here's what he blurts out, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you think about the context, that's kind of an odd topic to bring up given the flow of the passage. I mean, it's like, you know, Jesus, I know you're talking about heaven and hell, and I know you're talking about religion, but, but could we get to more relevant topics like how much money I should get when my parents die? Could we stop talking about eternity for just a moment, and, and, and maybe we could talk about my personal finances? I mean, it just seems so out of place. And why is that? It's because this guy isn't really concerned about an eternal inheritance. He's concerned about an earthly inheritance. Now, I do want to be fair to this guy because I'm kind of giving him a hard time. It was common to bring to a rabbi an inheritance dispute. In those days, uh, when a father died, the estate would be divided up to the sons. Uh, How many of you are the oldest sibling in your family? Raise your hand. You're the oldest sibling. You would get two-thirds, which bothers me because I'm the younger sibling. How many other younger siblings do we have? Yeah, we need to unite and rise up, right? (laughs) We would only get a third. In fact, if there were multiple younger siblings, younger brothers, that third would even get divided up even more. And so we don't know the details of this younger brother, whether or not he is getting his share, but he thinks he needs more. That's likely the scenario. But whatever the details are of this guy's situation, it doesn't matter. The point is he's not satisfied with what he has and he wants Jesus to be on his side. Maybe if I can get this Jesus to speak on the topic, I can go back and tell my brother, ha, 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 Jesus said, do this or that, but Jesus won't go there. Have you ever, hear me for just a moment, have you ever gone to God because you didn't feel like you were given a fair deal? And you went to him not with a grateful heart for what you have, but you went with a bitter heart for what you don't. That's what this guy's doing. But Jesus ain't going to play that game. He's going to go straight to the heart, verse 15. 
And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says, the issue is not inheritance. You think the issue is your greedy brother. The real issue is your greedy heart. And oftentimes, folks, listen, listen, I don't know your situation, but I do know that oftentimes we think we know what the real problem is. It's the, it's the income inequality at our job. It's the, the business partner didn't fulfill his end of the contract. It's the, the rules are not being applied fairly to me. But it may be that's not the issue. It may be that your heart is not content. That may be the real issue. It is the real issue for this guy because Jesus is not going to play his game about inheritance. He's going to go straight to his heart. But here's the problem. You listen in faith family. The problem is we, just like him, don't think we're greedy. We don't think we covet. I've been pastoring since 1996. I have never had one person come to me and say, Pastor, I just need you to pray for me. I'm just struggling. Okay, well, yeah, let's pray. Just tell me what's going on. I'm just, I'm just really greedy. It's never happened. We get prayer request cards every single week. I've never read one that just said, my family is just struggling with greed. Would you pray for us? It's never happened. I doubt it will, unless it happens this morning. Why? We don't think it applies to us. It's other people's problems, not ours. And if that's the case, then why is thousands of dollars spent on advertisement directed at you? Why do we live in a culture that's consumed in debt? Uh, why do we find shopping therapeutic? I'm in trouble with some of you on that one. And why is it that Jesus talks about worldly possessions more than anything else? I'll tell you why. Because whether or not you know it to be true, the number one competing God in your life to the worship of the true God is the treasures of this world. Period, exclamation mark, underline, bold, highlight, do whatever you want. It's true. The problem is we don't recognize it in our life because it is so sneaky. Greed is so sneaky. It's, like, it's not obvious like other sins, like murder or lying or adultery. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know you, were my, you weren't my spouse, you know, or something like that, you know. I mean, there are some sins we know what we're doing, but the thing with greed is it tends to sneak in and be very under the radar to the point that it becomes a part of our family and we don't even know it. It sneaks in the back door of our lives. You see, it works this way. Notice the screen here. Like all of us, everybody in this room, we have a, a, a need for security. We want to feel secure in life. Now, what that can create then is a longing for more. But if we're not careful, that longing for more becomes the birthplace of greed. Do you follow? Do you see? So think about it this way right here. Like, Money makes me feel secure, okay? Money's a good thing, amoral, 
Nothing wrong with money. Money makes me feel secure, so I long for more of it. But if I'm not careful, enough is never enough. Power makes me feel secure, so I long for more power. But if I'm not careful, that gives birth to enough is never enough. I do one more. Approval. Like I, when people like me at school, when I'm, the, when I'm the life of the party, when everybody's focused on me at work, man, I just feel so secure. And so I long for more of that and more of that. And before long, enough is never enough. Greed says, shh, you won't even know I'm here. I just sneak in through the back door, and before long, you've gone from secure to more to greedy, and you won't even know it. And it'll be everybody else's problem. It'll never be yours. In fact, greed is so sneaky that in our culture, it is, it's almost accepted as, as a good thing. Um, some of you will remember the movie Wall Street. Um, uh, Gordon Gecko makes that famous speech, uh, and here's what he says. He says, the point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. It cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Now listen to this, because if you think I'm just talking about money, you misunderstand. Here's what he says. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, greed for money, greed for love, greed for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. He's right. It's so sneaky it can become celebrated now, our tendency might be to say, Pastor, you are making way too big a deal out of this. Yes, it's sneaky. Yes, it's common. But it's just wanting a little bit more. You know, it's just that, that, that desire that enough is never enough. Come on. And I would agree with you if it weren't for the Bible. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, nor, say it with me, the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Which means... If greed is sneaky, but yet at the same time biblically serious, we need to ask the Spirit of God to discern our own hearts. Amen? So I thought I would, I would ask you just a few questions. Uh, I knew this is how you'd want to spend your Sunday. Um, dissecting your heart. But folks, I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to be a part of the, I mean, I want to be about the kingdom of God. I, I want, 
I want to demonstrate in my life by His grace the kingdom of God. I hope you're with me, so it's good for us to do this. Let me ask you a few questions. Do my thoughts mostly focus on my material life or my spiritual life? Do I enjoy material things more than I do spiritual things? Now, we're going to go from amen to oh me here, but that's okay. Compare your response to a new car to seeing 25 people baptized or worshiping with the people of God. Or compare, um, can I mention shopping twice? Is that allowed? Going shopping. And the, the, some of you are like, I don't relate to that, but some of you do, right? Compare going shopping and getting stuff to you know, my growing in your walk with the Lord. The point is to say, if you get a lot more excited about material things than you do spiritual things, that may reveal where your heart is. Material things are good. I mean, be excited about the new car. That's awesome. But when you're more excited about that than you are the worship of God, that's a problem. How do I respond when I lose material things like, you know, sour cream and onion bunny cracker box or whatever? Uh, how do I, what would I do if I suddenly came into a fortune? Like somebody gave you a million dollars, would your thought immediately be, I'm going to go get this stuff? Is that your immediate response? How do you feel when a pastor preaches on money? Gotcha, right? That was kind of a trick question, but it's true. Hey, come here, come here close for just a moment. The people who have a problem with preachers preaching on money have a problem because money is too close to their heart. I'm just going to leave that one there. Do you put a value on others based on what they have or don't have? How do you make decisions like your job or relationships? Is it always about what I could increase materially? Here's the point. All eyes right here. The point is this. If you find yourself putting your ultimate security in the kingdom of this world, it may reveal that that's the kingdom to which you belong. That's like hard, I know. But that's what Jesus is teaching. If all you're about is earthly inheritance, guy in the story, it may be because you have no desire whatsoever of an eternal inheritance. So Jesus goes on, and he tells a story here to show this man what his real issue is. Look at verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, A land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought of himself, thought to himself, What should I do? And uh, I, I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I got an idea. Here we, here we I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And then I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods. Wait up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be married. Cue Dave Matthews, right? Jesus tells a story about a man. Now listen to me so that you don't, you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He tells a story about a man who has prospered. There's nothing wrong with that. You hearing me? There's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, he has such an abundant harvest, like far beyond what he ever imagined would come from the harvest. He has more than he knows what to do with. There's nothing wrong with that. If you think that's the point of the parable, you miss the point. The point is not his wealth. The point is not his success. The point is not his possessions. The point is his heart. 
You see, many of us will say, well, I don't relate to this story because I'm not wealthy, and that's the whole point, that you miss the point. Namely, I know a lot of poor people who are more greedy than wealthy people because greed is not about how much you have. It's about what's in your heart. I know wealthy people are some of the most generous people you can imagine. Or if you think this is just about money, you miss the point. Here, if you really see what's in the text, you'll see why this is a heart issue and therefore applies to every one of us on a whole host of issues. And here it is, number one. This guy has the wrong provider. See if you get a theme out of verse 17. Just just listen, just listen. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my, so you get the point? Who's the center of this? Me. In other words, I did all this. Man, this is so, it's so crazy. The land produced more than you thought, and you think it did it because of you? What control do you have over the land? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The reason why you had a great harvest is because the Lord graciously provided for you. But this guy is saying, I, I, me, 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 I did this. It's a heart issue because we've been talking about illusions. Look look here, look here. And, And giving eyes to see. Greed blinds you to the reality that God is your provider. So you live like this, thinking the whole time that it's all because of you. But listen, friends, you're alive because God created you. You exist because God allows you to. You wake up because God gives you breath in the morning. You have energy to walk to your car and to do a job and to earn a paycheck and to buy food that you have the ability to take a fork and take that food and put it in your mouth all because of God. Everything you have, including the breath that's in your lungs, is because God has graciously provided for you. Don't think that what you have has ultimately anything to do with you. It is God's provision. Here's the second thing that's wrong with his heart. He has the wrong priority, meaning so he has this abundance that comes back. The harvest is more than he thought. And what's his response? Now, you got to get both of this to understand what's going on. It's build bigger barns, okay, so that I can eat, drink, and be merry. I just relax. In other words, this guy The prosperity is not the issue. The fact that he has an abundance is not an issue. It's that when God does provide for him, he wants to spend it all on himself. You see? It's it's my priority with what I have is me. Or let me put it this way. Possessions in my life is always more important than people. And you say, why why are you getting that? Because come here, come here, come here, come here. What's the context from which Jesus tells this parable? Are you listening? It's a man who cares more about his inheritance than he does his brother. 
You remember the theologian that I'm sure all of you have read, Dr. Seuss? And that great theological work, I'm being sarcastic here, of the Lorax? Remember that? Remember the Wunzler? The Wunzler didn't care what he destroyed because he was not about to let anything or anyone get in the way of what he wanted. So how are things? What are you doing here? Happy yet? You fill that hole deep down inside you? Or do you still need more? Look, if you've got a problem with what I'm doing, why haven't you used your quote-unquote powers to stop me? I told you. That's not how it works. Right, I forgot. You're a fraud. I need you to get out. Now! Why? Do I make you uncomfortable? Remind you of the promises you made? The man you used to be? You know what? You can just shut your mustache. My conscience is clear. I have done nothing illegal. I have my rights, and I intend to keep on biggering and biggering and turning more trepulatories into thieves. And nothing is going to stop me. Think about how many marriages, how many friendships, how many relationships have been destroyed all in the pursuit of more, of not being content. Jesus is saying gaining an inheritance isn't worth losing your brother. It's just not. And your greed, your desire for more, the the covetousness of your heart has caused you to lose priority on the things that matter most. The issue is his heart for one final reason. He has the wrong perspective. Look at verse 19. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up, now notice this phrase, for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. I got plenty of time. 
I'm 18. I'm 25. I'm 45. I got all the time in the world. You see, greed not only blinds you to your dependence upon God, and it blinds you to the priority of others, but it blinds you to eternity. And your focus is all about enjoying life now to the point that you don't give any concern about the life that is to come. Now, some of you have seen this illustration. It's not original with me. Uh, I saw it first with Francis Chan. Uh, He got it from somebody, and I'm not sure who that is, but some of you may have seen the rope illustration. Imagine that this rope that you cannot see the end of, imagine that this is your life. It's all of eternity because the truth is 10 billion years from now, you're going to be somewhere, either with God or separated from God. Our lives are eternal lives. Now, this red here is the life that you have on this earth. It's the life that you have up until you die and enter into the rest of eternal life. And the point is, most of our attention, most of our thoughts are all about the red. Like it's, he broke up with me, and what college am I going to go to? And can I save enough for retirement so that I'll have enough money to get out of Minnesota when it gets cold, you know? I mean, all these things, and these are important things. Listen, I'm not belittling at all this life. This is a good thing. It's a gift from God. But what about the rest of the rope? Do we not understand that it's what we treasure in the red that will determine the rest? Do we not see that that what we really, really want in this life has implications for the rest of our eternal life? This guy says, hey, I got plenty of years. I'm just going to relax and live all about me and enjoy this life only with no thought of what's to come. You see, greed... It's very sneaky. Greed will blind you to the reality of eternity. And you'll think the only thing that matters in life is right now. Now, how does this story end? Verse 20. I wish I could say it's a good one. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Do you see the twist in the story? Do you see the illusion that gets exposed? Here it is. The guy who thinks he has all the time in the world won't make it through the night. The guy that is looked to in the eyes of the world as being rich is actually about to be proven that he's poor. The guy that that the world would say, man, he's so wise. Look at how he built bigger barns. Is about to have it said of him by none other than God himself. You fool. That's a terrifying thing, friends. Why? Because being a fool in the Bible doesn't mean you run into things and can't spell your name and failed algebra. It means you missed 
the point. What a tragedy to spend 80 years here only to stand before God and have missed the point. So what should we do? What is reality? If that's the illusion, what is reality? Well, Jesus will go in to teach his disciples about how the birds of the air are provided. You know that text. But look at verse 32. Here's how we'll end. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom Sell your possessions and give to the needy, that is, be generous. Provide yourselves money bags that do not grow old with a treasure. Here it is, folks. Please get this. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus is saying this. If you really want security, stop being focused about earthly inheritance and receive eternal inheritance. If, if you really want security that will not end up giving birth to greed, find your security in God. Be rich towards God. And you can have all of Him you want. The gospel of grace, which I try to bring us back to every single week because God has called me to proclaim the gospel. The gospel of grace says, friend, you don't have to be driven ultimately by riches because you already are. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, man, he had like the biggest barns in the world because it was the world. Yet, for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Which led John Newton to write this. This is so sweet. Since I have known the Savior's name and what for me he bore, no more I toil for empty fame, I thirst for gold no more. Placed by his hand in this retreat, I make his love my theme and see that all this world calls great is but a waking dream. It's an illusion. When God is your treasure, when God is your security, you have money bags that will never be taken away. You have a treasure stored up for you in heaven. Would you receive that through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you build your life on that? Would you, pun intended, bank your life on him? Because unlike the elderly woman in the story, unlike this man in the crowd, unlike the rich man in the parable, Jesus says, if you want to be a part of my kingdom, you better not find your security in this world. 
Because at the end of the day, friends, we don't need financial security. We need eternal security. We don't need economic peace. We need spiritual peace. Because that's a prize inside worth having. Let's pray. God, we need you to discern our hearts for us. Um, I'm, I'm just convinced in my own life the, the sneakiness of sin. Um, for, I bet for all of us in this room there are things we struggle with that are obvious to us. But then there are those things like this man in the story where we just don't even see. We think it's somebody else's issue. Uh, would you, by your sweet grace um, and by your spirit, open our eyes to see that in our lives? Um, this world is in many ways a, a gift and to be enjoyed and life truly is a gift. But um, you have given us this life to be on mission for the life that is to come. And so help us discern those priorities, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.